We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to the Timeline Podcast. I am in a great mood. My name is Mike B. Hill. Samurai Poppy and Devin Booker took down the New Orleans Pelicans last night. Sam Cooper, how are you doing? I'm in a great mood. Mike, the Suns did not deserve to win that game, but hey, we're 6-4 and four in our last 10, and Josh Jackson made both of us look like complete idiots, so we can talk I'm about so that happy. right off I'm the so bat. happy he did. Yeah. It's great. It's really great to, to, to be wrong. I mean, I don't know if we're overall wrong about the trajectory of his career, but it's nice that he comes out and kind of proves us wrong in, in that direct, uh, directly after we kind of buried him on our last podcast. So it's nice to see him uh, succeed a little bit. And, you know, I hope overall we're wrong, too, because I want to see him succeed. But what a bizarre game. That was such a weird ending. I don't think I've ever seen a game end that way and you know people talking about it as if the pelicans were tanking just look at the face that alvin gentry was making after he made that timeout and that massive mistake clearly they weren't taking that that was not he has to make that face mike because he's an actor who's being paid to tank (laughs) clearly yeah the nba is the wwe now (laughs) it's the theme of our podcast honestly in a lot of ways it is so for those who missed it just to go over how it ended it was an overtime game. Uh, Booker tied the game with a layup. There was something like 16, 17 seconds on the clock. The Pelicans had a five-second inbound violation where they tried to call a timeout, and the refs missed it, I guess. They had no timeouts left, so no technical was called. 
but the possession changed and the Suns had the possession. Uh, Devin Booker dribbled the ball down, passed it to an open Josh Jackson three, which was the right shot for the Pelicans to give us. Although he's been shooting well, there's no guarantee, of course, that he'd make that. He sunk it in a great shot. And then Alvin Gentry called a timeout. This time, the refs could not miss that one. They had a technical foul. The game was tied. Booker sunk the free throw. And then the Suns got the ball back because it was a technical foul. Uh, And then Josh Jackson was fouled, I think, with 1.1 on the clock. He made the first, missed the second on the rebound. The game ended. The Suns won. Bizarre, bizarre ending. But a really fun ending in a way because it was just... I I saw online that the live betting had the Pelicans winning. If you bet the Suns at that point with 16, 17 seconds left, it was plus (laughs) 2,200 because of how unlikely it was for the Suns to win that game. But they shouldn't have won for for many, many reasons. How did you feel about it watching that game? Uh, Well, I have to be honest and come clean. I watched a replay of the game. I couldn't watch it at the exact time. So unfortunately... A lot of the suspense was taken out of it uh, for me. Um, but that being said, I thought the Suns played a great game. Uh, Kelly Oubre and Devin Booker definitely dominate the discussion. Josh Jackson does deserve a lot of credit. He made the big shot uh, at the end of the game. But Oubre and Booker combining for 72 points, absolutely huge. Also, guys like Dragon Bender played well in this game. Ray Spaulding got his first uh, kind of real taste of NBA action uh, after DeAndre Ayton was ejected in the second half. And of course, Rashawn Holmes was out. Uh, so the Suns definitely playing a little bit small in that game and, and a bunch of guys in their front court stepping up as well. Yeah, and to say that the Suns shouldn't have won, you know, no Rashawn Holmes, no Tyler Johnson, no TJ Warren, of course, and then Aiton was ejected. So there there was a lot of players that were missing uh, in this game. Aiton, of course, played really well in that game up to the point that he was ejected. Bizarre reason to be ejected, too. We don't really know what he said in either technical fouls, but the second one came with him on the bench his first ejection, I believe, of his career. And I guess I was thinking a ref probably likes to be the, you know, I want to be the ref that gives the number one overall pick his first ejection of his career. So maybe they were looking for it a little bit too much. But if you think about it, Tyler Johnson and TJ Warren, those are the two highest paid players on the team. You know, maybe they don't perform like that, but they are important pieces. Tyler Johnson was a big part of a lot of the wins coming into this game. Uh, but they played really well. You know, as as you know, Anthony Davis doesn't play his normal minutes. So going into this game, the Suns did have a good chance to win just based on that alone. We did kind of get killed with Anthony Davis on the floor. He played, I think, 25 minutes is what he's capped out on. But they looked really good. Devin Booker, 40 points, 13 assists, 5 rebounds. Uh, James Harden-esque performance. He had 41 minutes. It's the second most free throw attempts in his career. He had 18 free throw attempts. The only game that had more free throw attempts than that was the game that he scored 70 points in. A really, really impressive performance from Devin Booker in this game and and really lately, right? Oh, yeah. He's been awesome. I've got the stats right here. Last eight games. Honestly, you said it. It's Harden-esque. 30 and a half points, 4.8 rebounds, 7.1 assists. 47% from the field, 35% from three, 89% from the free throw line. And that would be a lot better if he didn't struggle um, from the free throw line in that one game this week. So, yeah, he's, I mean, maybe not Harden-esque this year, but maybe Harden-esque last year or the year before. That's how well Devin Booker has been playing as of late. And also, I think it was his sixth career game of 30 points and 10 assists, which just, Someone was pointing it out on Twitter. It might have been Max McCauley from the 7 Seconds or Less podcast. But I feel like the way 
a lot of people talk about Devin Booker right now. They talk about him as if he's already in his prime, that he's kind of already set in stone. Like we talk about this guy as if he's a 25, a 26 year old, when the truth is he's still just 22. He's still breaking all of these records. He was recently the youngest player in NBA history to reach 500 threes and nobody batting an eye. I think it was on the same day that LeBron broke some milestones, so nobody talked about it. But he's just continues to impress with everything he's done this season. Yeah, we talked we talk a lot about Devin Booker as compared to James Harden. We have a YouTube video about it. And for those of you who haven't seen it, make sure and check it out. But one of the big points we talked about were free throws attempted per game. And when we talked about the differences between the two guys, we talked about how Devin Booker needs to increase his free throw attempts per game in order to get as many easy points as James Harden does, who consistently leads the league in free throw attempts. And to that point, before the All-Star break, Devin Booker was averaging 6.1 free throw attempts per game, which was 16th in the NBA. Pretty good, especially for his age. But since the All-Star game, he's averaging 9.3, which is third in the NBA. And that's only behind James Harden, of course, and Giannis Antetokounmpo, who just constantly attacks. So to see that improvement, I think, has been really impressive. I think you can attribute that to being healthy, for Mm -hmm. one, because you need that first step. You need to get around a guy. But also the way that he's been contorting his body, the way he's been trying to finish around the rim has a lot to do with it too. He's doing the James Harden hold your arms out really far. He's doing the sort of lift your arms up into the defender when they're on the hip. And those types of moves, a lot of people find them hard to watch, but they're important because you get a lot of uh, free points, a lot of easy points that way. Have you noticed that and about the way Devin Booker's been playing lately? Yeah, I've noticed it. I'm glad you mentioned the health, though. I think it's just important to stress that we're really looking at a Devin Booker right now who I believe is fully healthy. That first step is back. The quickness is back, and he's willing to drive in a way that maybe back in December he just wasn't, and I think that explained a lot of his struggles in, in those losing streaks as we were talking about him. But yeah, all of the, the bullshit Harden-esque moves, he's, he's getting savvier, and he's starting to use those to his advantage as well. Um, I'd like to see DeAndre Ayton start to learn some of those techniques as well, because if you can get Devin Booker to turn into James Harden, then you can get DeAndre Ayton to turn into Joel Embiid. Suddenly the Suns are getting 40 free throws attempts per game, and <laughs> no one's going to stop them at that point. Yeah, and I think I, would, I do want to give credit also to pace. I think the pace is important too, because when Devin Booker gets out in transition, he can get fouled consistently because it's hard for one he's really fast he he's able to finish and his finishing has become really creative i think over the last few weeks he's he's getting a lot of finishes that we haven't really seen before a lot of falling out of bounds and throwing it up towards a basket some interesting off the backboard finishes where he's spinning it just at the right angle Kyrie Irving-esque finishes of course Kyrie Irving came into the league as maybe the best layup guy of all time so maybe not quite that good but still very very good and I think pace has a lot to do with it too, because when he gets out there on fast breaks, you know the only way to stop him in a lot of cases is to foul him, and that's happening. That's happening a lot. But I do want to say he's averaging 28.8 points per game since the All-Star break, which is fifth in the NBA. So very, very impressive. And before that, 24.6. At this rate, he has potential to raise his overall points per game to 26 points per game. And he will be the first player to average that at 22 year old 22 years old or younger since Kevin Durant. And before that, the names are very familiar. It's LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, Amari Stoudemire, Tracy McGrady, Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal, 
and Michael Jordan. And those are the only players to average 26 points per game at 22 years old or younger since Jordan. So that list is very, very impressive. So it's nice to be able to talk about Devin Booker like this again because he just it didn't feel like he was healthy. We weren't able to sort of stats debate, as I call it, with Devin Booker to this point. And now I feel like we're able to do that again because he's really playing at that level and improving from where he was last year once again. But are we sure he contributes to winning basketball? All those <laughs> other guys on that list won games. Well, maybe it's Kelly Oubre, right? Because he's been really good lately, too. And it seems like that's been a big difference. You know, we talked about Tyler Johnson was a big difference maker, too, but he's missed the last few games. And Kelly Oubre has been really, really, really good lately. Have you been impressed with him? Uh, Yeah, I mean, what am I going to say? No. (laughs) (laughs) Kelly Kelly Oubre now as a starter, 12 games. He started uh, for 12 games. And he's officially averaging over 20 points per game as a starter. So... You know, he's at that TJ Warren. The only difference between him and TJ Warren is that he's shooting 34% on threes in his last 12 games since he became a starter. And, and TJ wow. is theoretically a 40% three-point shooter. But I don't know. Maybe t- like maybe some regression to the mean should be expected for TJ when he comes back and he's closer to like a 35% three-point shooter if you don't truly trust that 20% jump in one year, which just seems like such an outlier. If that's the case... Ubre right now, he's brought the energy, he's brought the swagger, he's brought the defense, and he's scoring as much as TJ. I really like TJ Warren. I'm just saying Ubre continues to apply the pressure and he continues to drive up his market value this summer too. Yeah, it's interesting because it's it's almost hard to fully celebrate how good he's been because of that pending free agency coming up. But he is a restricted free agent. The market's weird. We don't really know what it's going to look like. If you kind of look at previous wings and what they've been... Uh, on the market for I think we can easily afford him but we really don't know all it takes with the Um, restricted free agent all it takes is one team right it's all it takes yeah I mean we saw it with Tyler Johnson a few years ago how do you think Tyler Johnson got 19 million in the first place or you know another guy how do you think Harrison Barnes this is what scares me is if Kelly Oubre keeps putting up 20 points six rebounds on on pretty good efficiency with some defense for another 10 games sustains that basically so that he's played at that level for the entire post all-star break He's kind of maybe at Harrison Barnes territory. Someone could throw him $25 million a year. It would wow. be crazy. It would be crazy. Yeah. But with as many teams that have max contract space this summer, it's possible. $20 million right now is definitely not out of the question. I feel like when we, during the 17-game losing streak, Kelly wasn't playing that well. We were framing this as like a $12 to $14 million type contract. I think we're way past that now. $16, 18 20 any of those are possible. Yeah, and I think what's important is it's hard to compare this coming off season to previous off seasons. Now you can, and you can look at different wings, and you can kind of gauge what he's going to make based off those wings. But this coming off season, there's a lot of teams that have cap space. This is something we've talked about before. Last week we talked about it with Rashawn Holmes. This week the conversation shifts over to Kelly Oubre, and when you have a lot of teams with cap space, what happens is. They strike out. They aim at stars, and they don't get those stars. And then they have all this cap space burning a hole in their pocket. And that's when they start uh, writing offers to guys the same way Tyler Johnson got one. Now, there's there's not a lot of teams that are in similar scenarios as the Brooklyn Nets were in when they made that insane offer to Tyler Johnson. But who knows? I mean, at this point, it actually could be the Brooklyn Nets. They have a lot of cap space. 
enough for two max contracts and maybe they write some sort of offer sheet to Kelly Oubre. So it's kind of unfortunate that we can't fully celebrate him. We have that pending impending free agency coming up, but I think the Suns are going to likely keep him. I think he's done enough to show that he it might even make now, I hate to always talk about this, but it might even make TJ Warren expendable going into the summer as far as looking for trades. And I think with his shooting, he'd be an interesting target for a lot of teams, right? Yeah, and he'd be the easiest way for James Jones to go out and get a veteran. I, I hate that we're talking about this, too, because I've defended TJ a lot. I think he brings a lot to this team. We still suck at shooting overall, and he's our best shooter. So I don't like talking about him in that manner. Um, but I get it's just the nature of the conversation always seems to naturally steer towards that yeah it's just it is what it is and and tj warren has to be that guy that we look at just because the amount of wings and the the issue is we have to keep mikhail bridges it just makes sense he's a the reason you draft a guy that's 22 years old a guy that has four years is that you can have an older player on a rookie deal you end up paying a lot less it's nice to have a guy that's nba ready and and pay them rookie level salary you got to keep a guy like that it does not make sense to trade a guy like mikhail bridges unless you're getting a star back and then kelly Ubre, he's just been so good that leaves the odd man out and we've talked about it before josh jackson just doesn't have value on the trade market to, to really put him out there at this point so it was nice to talk about a Pelicans victory in a bizarre game, but there were some other games that we should get into. Uh, not as fun to talk about. First is the Utah loss. The Suns lost to Utah in a game I was at. It was a home game, 114-97. And, you know, Gobert just kind of took it to us, right? Yeah, Gobert took it to us, and I, that's exactly the main storyline. That long-armed fuck stole all all of our defensive <laughs> rebounds. And uh, he was great. Rudy Gobert really proving his worth as just such a dominant, valuable center. Gave DeAndre Ayton the business. And this is the type of game where I think a lot of people were getting down on DeAndre Ayton after the game for what he was saying about how he would give himself an F- and, and that was the worst game he ever played. Just reminds me of how bad I would be if I somehow had the athletic ability to be a professional athlete at dealing with the media. Because it feels like you have to be so precisely media trained that if you say anything that even resembles some sort of, not even controversy, it's not a controversial statement, but some people will just, especially after losses, take fi- um, find ways to be offended by anything. There were people talking about, you know, DeAndre not having the, the right competitive spirit if he was down on himself after that game when all he was saying was that, you know, he wasn't going to get any sleep that night, that he was going to go and watch film the rest of the night. It was crazy. Some of the theories that I saw people coming up with. But, you know, DeAndre Ayton, down on himself after the game, I think he came back and responded well against Houston. Yeah, I think there's no winning with a lot of these guys because DeAndre Ayton, he had the interview, we talked about it a few episodes ago, where he said he doesn't have a defensive problem and say people kill him for saying he's not able to recognize his weaknesses. And then he has a game like this where he talks about it as his worst game yet and he and he wants to improve and yeah. people kill him for being honest about that. So I think there's, you know, with the way the internet is and the, how many people are out there that are able to give opinions on this you're just going to get killed no matter what and i think a guy like deandre and he's been there before he he knows and i don't think it's going to bother him if people kill him for that one thing i will say is this was a boring game it was not fun to watch it was kind of brutal that's the jazz and though. yeah and we play them two more times though <laughs> so we have two more utah games and in a sense that's a good thing because deandre Ayton has a chance to get out there and prove it again against, you know, maybe the best big man defender the NBA has seen in a while in Rudy Gobert. 
he has a chance to really prove himself again. But as far as fans go, those are just not fun games to watch. They're kind of it's like watching the old Spurs team with Tim Duncan, the defensive first teams. Uh, it's not that fun, you know. It's just all defense, and then Donovan Mitchell taking control on offense. Um, and 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 for the Suns, it's a difficult matchup too because with Favors and Gobert on the floor, those those are just two massive guys. And with Favors stretching it out to the three point line, they hurt us on rebounds. They hurt us by spreading the floor, and they're good defensively because they're big. So not the most fun uh, team to watch. Uh, one thing too, Rubio, who we've talked about as a potential free agent for the Suns. Didn't look too impressive in that no. game and maybe hasn't looked too impressive lately, right? No, he, he hasn't. I've talked about Rubio before as being, look, I think Rubio's an interesting option because he's like the type of veteran that Goran Dragic could be. Like, Suns fans are in love with Gor- Actually, I shouldn't say that. Suns fans are somewhat happy with Goran Dragic. Uh, and, and I've heard some Suns fans be like, oh, we should go get Goran for a third stint. I think the advantage of Rubio has always been he's a couple of years younger than Goran, so you feel a little bit more comfortable giving him a three to four year contract and not having him instantly fall off in production the way that Trevor Rees and Tyson Chandler did. Now, that was on the condition that Rubio can keep up the shooting he did last year. I think he was like a 33% three-point shooter. And I was like, okay, if he can at least give you that, if Igor truly did fix his shot form, <laughs> then maybe uh, maybe it'd be okay. Evidently, his shot form is not fixed. Since the All-Star break, Ricky Rubio, do you want to guess what his shooting percentage is, Mike? Uh, 40. 30. Oh, my God. 30% from the field, 28% from three, 85% from the free throw line, and that's the thing. He's still averaging, this is in 10 games since the All-Star break, still giving you six assists and only one and a half turnovers. Still, you know, playing the passing lanes, getting some steals. He's, you know, can can get bumped by big men, absorb the contact, and, and fight through screens. Uh, But he just, he's not offensively capable especially not to the point where you'd want to really give him a huge contract so that option for the suns this summer starts to make kind of less and less sense so if that does happen you just kind of hope that igor is the rubio whisperer right. at that point. i mean these last six games milwaukee two for eight new orleans Ooh. one for eight new orleans again three for 12 phoenix one Ooh. for seven minnesota one for seven brooklyn two for 13 and in four of these six games, he still posted a positive plus minus because that's how good Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert have been since the All-Star break. We're talking about Devin Booker being good, but the truth is Donovan Mitchell, hate to say it, guys, but Donovan Mitchell and Bradley Beal are also playing so well. They're both playing out of their minds to the point where you can't even say like Booker is cementing himself as the second best shooting guard in the NBA behind Harden or anything because there are these other up-and-coming shooting guards who are just doing so well. But Rubio has been shitting the bed just really quietly. Yeah, and I, I think not just those two guys with uh, Gobert and Mitchell, but also Ingles. Mm. Ingles is actually averaging over seven assists since the All-Star break as well. He's just an impressive player. He kind of can do everything. We we talked about him as a comp for Mikael Bridges, but you know he's as one of the best shooters in the NBA and one of the most underrated playmakers in the NBA. I think he's just a guy that there's not really a lot of players that play like Joe Ingles. That's a really impressive team. They're going to be an interesting team in the playoffs as far as, you know, they're playing really well right now. And if, and if Rubio can put it together a little bit towards the end of the season, they're going to be a tough out for, for any team in the playoffs. Mikael Bridges can do that. I have faith. <laughs> seven assists, not well, seven assists. Yeah. Okay, not seven assists. Mikael Bridges. Little, well, after the All-Star break, yeah, not all season. A little too loose with the ball. Mikael Bridges might be able to do four or five assists. Hey, I was looking up something 
the other day, Mikhail Bridges continues to facilitate well. I think this is the third or fourth straight episode that we've talked about this in that low usage role. He's got an assist to turnover ratio of 2.5 on the season. I was looking in the past for other Suns rookies, uh, other wings specifically, that were in the same sort of role. Guys who came in, maybe they averaged like two, 2.5, three assists at most, but only around one turnover or so. You know, so they have a similar assist to turnover ratio. And the only two guys I could find that really compared, Dan Marley and Joe Johnson. And I think that's a really wow. good portrait of what Mikhail Bridges might be able to come from the facilitating end. Maybe he's not going to average seven assists a game. In fact, I'll tell you right now, 99.999% chance he won't. But as a secondary or even tertiary playmaker, I think he has the chance to be kind of like a Joe Johnson or a Dan Marley. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That's Those are great comps for him, and I, and I hope that really comes to fruition. It's just... Like we talked about, he's just such a different player. You know, he's nothing like those no, two guys. No, yeah, it's not good uh, overall comps, just in the playmaking yeah. sense specifically. Yeah. So another thing that happened in this game is Tyler Johnson did get injured. It doesn't seem like any sort of serious injury, but he was out for the subsequent two games with Houston and then the weird Pelicans game. But the Houston game was an interesting game because the Suns were kind of stayed with Houston until the fourth quarter. Uh, no Tyler Johnson, no TJ Warren, of course. No Chris Paul, too. Chris Paul rested in that game, rightfully so. James Harden kills us. They don't really need Chris Paul, and it's nice for James Harden, I think, to just go out and kill a team. He enjoys it. But what was interesting about this game to me is I didn't feel surprised at any point of the game that the Suns stayed with Houston. And that's when I started to realize maybe this is different this time because previously, if like in the first half of the season, if the Suns were staying with Houston, a team as good as Houston until the last few minutes of the game, it would have shocked me. But for this game, it kind of felt right. It just felt like they should have stayed with Houston throughout this game until James Harden just took over at the end of the game. It was kind of a fun game to watch, surprisingly, other than Rashawn Holmes getting injured in this game too. Uh, but what did you think about that Houston loss? Uh, well, I'm right there with you. I think it's the Ubre effect. Honestly, because yeah. uh, Josh Jackson played really well against New Orleans, but he didn't. Both him and Bridges kind of didn't play well against Houston. Everyone was getting on Josh for obvious reasons in that Houston game for the, the end of game mistake. But uh, but Ubre was just he played super well in both games. And another guy we really need to talk about Dragon Bender, actually, yeah. because he's not yeah. he's not filling up the stat sheet. And you still look at him. He'll play 20 to 30 minutes and he'll only take five shots. And you look at him and he doesn't do anything remarkable. But he's increasingly solid in a way that he he just wasn't before. I tweeted out earlier today. I mean, Dragon's actually like he's attacking closeouts now. He's getting some of his shots unassisted so that he's not purely a catch and shoot guy. He's not quite as afraid to attack the basket, to go up there with it and, and fi not finish strong in the sense that he dunks. Because that's sort of what I'm saying. Like, he's not impressive when you look at him. And on defense, he's not impressive in the sense that he's getting these crazy blocks. But his positional defense is there. And you can sort of start to see him maybe make some progress towards becoming a capable NBA player. I know that's a really low bar to set. <laughs> uh, but that's kind of what just, you know, what we're talking about with he needed to make a lot of progress just to stay in the NBA. And I think based on his play over the past 10 games or so where he's been inserted into the starting lineup... We're starting to see that out of him. Yeah, and I, I, you know, that actually leads nicely into a conversation I wanted to have. And that conversation is, is this real? So the Suns are 6-6 six and six since the All-Star break. 50, they're 500. They've won 50% of their games since the All-Star break. 
And my question is, how sustainable do you think this will be? And I'll talk a little bit about that. They're the third highest in pace since the All-Star break. That's something I think they can keep up. But even with these wins, they're still close to the bottom in three-point shooting, and they're still last in rebound percentage. And this includes Dragon Bender, who's shooting relatively well since the All-Star break. And something even more surprising, Josh Jackson is shooting 40% from three (laughs) since the All-Star break. And 48% in March, and that's on about three attempts per game, which is really good and by far the best stretch of his career. So it's interesting that they're still winning, even though they're not hitting a lot of threes, even though Josh Jackson and Dragon Bender are shooting better. They're still not close to the top. I think the third in three-point shooting, uh, three-point makes at least, in in that stretch, and still last in rebound percentage. So it almost feels as if they're winning... Despite that, and a, a lot of it, I think, like you said, has to do with Kelly Oubre, it feels different to me, but when I look at the stats, it doesn't quite add up to, to me believing that this can be sustainable in the long run, at least going forward. I'm not really sure, but how do the you The reason the Suns are winning these games, first of all, Oubre's playing out of his mind, but also Devin Booker, do you believe that he's a 30-8 and eight guy consistently? If I mean, I think it's possible. If the answer is yes, then that's why the Suns are winning. The Suns' entire offense has still been guided by Devin Booker. I mean, you see Jamal Crawford continues to come in games. We blow the lead. De'Anthony Melton, I loved his performance uh, against New Orleans last night, but he continues to kind of be a disaster offensively. He, he's just he's he's, bad. Really, he's not good. <laughs> there's there's no way to sugarcoat it. Josh Jackson has had his struggles. Yeah. Dragon Bender's a low usage guy. Mikhail Bridges can't hit the broadside of a barn right now. As much as I you know praise him all the time for everything else that he does. So it's all on the shoulders of Booker and Oubre. Do you believe that Booker is really that hard and light type of player where he can put up 30 points and 8 assists for the rest of the season? Then I think the Suns will continue to go 500 the rest of the season. But if Booker reverts back, they, you know, teams are trapping him on every screen. Uh, maybe, you know, he takes a wrong turn somewhere and, and gets a little bit injured and suddenly he's back to 22, 23 points per game. The Suns aren't going to win games. Plain and simple. I, yeah, I think I agree with that. I, we just got to keep him healthy because I think that's the biggest difference with Devin Booker now and early in the season. The, the shooting hasn't really changed that much. He's still averaging uh, pretty good efficiency, and, and he was pretty good as far as efficiency before, although he's a little bit better since the All-Star break. Not a huge change in three-point shooting, a little bit better. Um, but I think, you're, I think you're right. I think that's that's the biggest change. I'm interested. I'm going to keep track of these team stats and see where we're at going towards the end of the season because I think making a good impression for some free agents is important ending the season. And if they can be 500 post All-Star break, that would be a big difference. We got Chicago, Detroit, and Sacramento coming up. Chicago is an easily winnable game. They're not really trying to win. Um, It'd be nice to see Devin Booker versus Zach Levine because people try to compare those guys a lot. And I, you know, as ridiculous as I think it is, a lot of people are not watching the Suns, so it'll be nice to see them on the court together and maybe people can make that uh, comparison a little more realistic after seeing them play against each other. Chicago's at home, Detroit's at home, Sacramento's on the road. An interesting week. Detroit kind of kills us. Blake Griffin always kills us, and Sacramento's been very good this season, so we'll see. I honestly work. don't remember what happens in our... We lost to Chicago, but didn't Zach Levine go off on us? Yeah, I mean, Zach Levine's <laughs> no, good. I, He's a good player. I gotta look it up. He had twenty. He had twenty nine and six on fifty percent shooting. I, I yeah. Dare I say that's a Booker esque performance? <laughs> I mean, you're saying that right after he had forty, thirteen, and five. Oh, I know. I know what you mean. <laughs> Levine isn't the playmaker that Booker is. That's that's what separates them right now. But when the Suns and the playmaking is a huge. I know. Difference. But when the Suns were in the middle of a 
17 game losing streak you know it's not the craziest comparison in the world i mean booker's overall stats are great but the defense hasn't quite been there enough to truly elevate him into the tier of other two-way superstars that's all i'm saying i I definitely think devin booker is a lot better Mm -hmm. than zach levine nobody crucify me for that yeah um i just think you know hey it might be a battle coming in there i mean we're still the suns we got three games coming up chicago detroit sacramento as you said and with the way we're playing right now they could win all three of those games but at the end of the day you're still the suns you got to take every opponent seriously um, because anyone can come in and just wreck you on any night. All I know is if Kelly Oubre shows up with a headband on, it's over. <laughs> it's over. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're actually going to get deeper into the draft, I think, than we have so far. We have a draft analyst, Richard Stamen, who covers the draft for the Mavs, coming on to talk about uh, maybe your brackets a little bit and, and what to look forward to. Uh, in this tournament that's coming up. So March Madness is here, and Richard is going to guide us through it. So we'll be right back. Josh, MF Jackson, man. Uh, Without him, we wouldn't be here right now. Uh, He's also shooting 50% in the month month of March. Uh, People don't know that, so they better put some respect on his name. Joining us on the podcast is Richard Stamen, a.k.a. Mavs Draft on Twitter, a.k.a. Reddit user RPS215, and the Timeline's official draft analyst because the Mavs may not have a pick this year. Richard, how are you doing? That's cold. I, uh, I'm hurt. <laughs> I'm great, though. Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, we're hurting you. I just want to say, the Mavs are 2-8 and eight in the last 10 games, and the Suns are 6-4. and four. So I just wanted to point that out. That doesn't hurt me. That's what I want. <laughs> you know what? Honestly, you know, you can give them a hard time, but the Mavs this year have two rookies who are playing basically worth two years' worth of draft picks right there. I mean, Jalen Brunson has been amazing recently. I know everyone talks about Luka Doncic, but... Shout out to Jalen Brunson. Richard, have you been impressed with uh, the play of both of your rookies recently? I assume you have been. Uh, recently, no, because Luca has <laughs> just gotten, has forgotten exactly just how to shoot a free throw. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. He's, he's still great, though. I mean, he's even when he's down, he's still putting up great numbers. Um, I was huge on Jalen Brunson coming out of the draft. He was my highest ranked, non, or I guess 15th overall player. Um, I was huge on him, and I was ecstatic that the Mavs got him at 33 I thought that was an absolute steal and he's lived up to it and as much as it's really unfortunate that JJ Barea went down with that Achilles injury it's been huge for Brunson and people thought that Yogi Ferrell was going to be the Mavs uh future JJ Barea but we let him walk and now he's uh you know in Sacramento but really it's Brunson Brunson's going to be that kind of guy who maybe could win player of the week like JJ Barea you know he's he's going to be on an all-rookie team and I'm really excited about him for the last, just to throw out the stats, for the last 12 games, Brunson's averaging 16 points, three rebounds, four and a half assists, only two turnovers, 54% shooting from the field, 40% from three, and 93% from the free throw line. That's like, that's really good for a rookie. That's like, you know, when Suns fans were getting excited about like Tyler Ulis blowing up at the beginning of his rookie season, except like action, actually legitimate, <laughs> like actual legitimate efficiency happening right now. So yeah, definitely some stuff for you guys to be excited about there. Yeah, and they haven't been empty either. He's been 
he's been going off on the last few games that have all been close. Like they're not empty stats at all. So what's going on with Luca? Is it is it just because he's fat? I. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's definitely fatigue. If it has fat in it, like you can't spell fatigue without fat. So I'm, I'm going to go with that. <laughs> All right. We we brought you on to talk about the draft, but just quickly, I'm going to read off Luka Doncic's basketball reference nicknames, which I assume you haven't seen before. I want you to tell me if any of these have, if you've ever heard any of these uttered in real life. And if you want to, are you ready? No. <laughs> Absolutely We've got not. Matador, Cool Hand. The Don, Swaggy L, what, <laughs> and Wonder Boy, and I, okay, I, I don't, I don't know. They did this with uh, Mikhail Bridges too. I remember is another guy who was ridiculous and nicknames on Basketball Reference. I have no idea where they pull these from. I just wanted to know since we have an actual Mavs fan uh, on the podcast if, if you have any idea where those came from. Um, on, I think the the Matador came or El Matador, whatever that came from when he was in uh, in Spain. Uh, Swaggy L, I hope to God, never, ever reaches anyone ever That's in the NBA. Uh, so maybe if we could bury, bury this podcast and uh, never release it <laughs> just for that one incident, that'd be great. The others I've heard a little bit. Um, the Dawn is really lame, but Cool Hand, Mark Followill loves that one. Uh, Wonder Boy was... That's a pretty popular one. I'd say that one's the most popular. Online, people use the Matador or El Matador or whatever. They use that the most, and I cringe every time. Wonder uh, Boy is almost sarcastic, though, I think, in a way. Like, that one can be used positively <laughs> or negatively. It can be, oh, NBA Twitter talking about Wonder Boy again, <laughs> used in, like, a derivative tone. <laughs> yeah, it sounds very condescending. Um, I do not disagree with that at all. I just, I like calling him Luca, hot take, but, you know, I like calling him <laughs> Luca Doncic. <laughs> yeah, when guys have good names... They don't need nicknames. Like nobody, nobody ever made up a nickname for Kobe Bryant that stuck. <laughs> I mean, other than the one he made up for himself. But Kobe Bryant is a good name. Luka Doncic is a good name. You don't really need a nickname at that point. But like Sam said, we did bring you on to talk about the draft. So let's get to that. So just so everyone knows, I'm hoping to have Richard on for the next few weeks so we can get into the draft a little bit more. But as we know, the the brackets are out. It's it's that time of year. It's March Madness. So everyone's going to be talking about college players and, and sort of what this will lead as far as the NBA draft and, ha- and where we're going in the future. So first question is obvious. From your perspective, you cover the draft. Is the hype around Zion warranted in your opinion? And attached to that, is there any bust potential at all for Zion? It's hard to say yes to that just because you see guys like Ben Simmons who everyone coming out of LSU – was concerned about how he doesn't have a jump shot whatsoever and how that would hold him back. But the thing is, if you're talented enough, you don't need a jump shot. Yeah, it makes you, it gives you the jump from great to elite, but Zion is going to be great regardless. I've been looking for a flaw outside of his jump shot. I can't find one. So I, I'm all in on him. There's no doubt he's the number one pick. I do think people are a little bit carried away. I think he's going to be a great player, like a future all star, no doubt. But I've seen a lot of people say he's the best. Uh, best prospect coming out of the draft since LeBron, which I think that's a little bit carried away, but he's really good. I mean, in my opinion, he's the best prospect since Simmons. Um, I absolutely love him. Does that mean you would take him over Doncic if you could choose one or the other for the next seven nope. or eight years? Yeah. Nope. Nope. <laughs> you wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. I, I I like knowing. I like going with what I know. 
And uh, just having Luca, like seeing him, I mean, he's going to win Rookie of the Year, or at least should. Um, he's he's definitely going to keep getting better. I I just like sticking with the guy who's in the NBA, so I'm I'm a little bit biased on that, and and you know the Mavs thing. <laughs> Do you consider him in a tier by himself? Is there is there a chance that anyone else is a better player than him in the NBA? Um. Wow, that is uh, this draft. that's a little bit difficult. I think I think John Morant is close. Um, I think if you had, I think that's the smallest gap at the top is uh, Zion to to Jaw. I think that's actually way closer than people realize. But other than that, there's a huge drop off after those two. I don't think it's like one A one B. I think it's a clear one and two, but they're not that far off. So. Building off of that, obviously you're saying that John Morant is pretty much or should be pretty much guaranteed to be the number two pick in this draft because after Zion, the best star potential is John Morant and 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 you know there's other guys that are in play for that second pick if you look around the internet but it's been hard for me personally to watch a lot of John Morant. I've just really he's not on TV a lot. That's really the main reason. So I'm searching out these YouTube videos. I'm trying to find highlights and you know how highlights can sort of only show the best parts of the game. So I'm not really sure about John Morant going into this, but in your opinion, he's pretty much the guaranteed number two pick. Yeah, I can't see a way he goes number one. I know some people were saying like in December and January that maybe he could, um, but I just, I don't see it. And somehow maybe he falls to three just because some team doesn't need a point guard. Um, But I really don't see that. I think he's a guy who fits in just about anywhere. He's, he plays like Russell Westbrook or actually I think he plays closer to John Wall. Um, and I think you can make that fit just about anywhere. How does it fit with Devin Booker specifically? Just because I, I like Job Morant a lot for the record, um, but just sort of playing devil's advocate where you constantly hear people talk about defense and off ball tendencies. And, and clearly those are the weaknesses of Devin Booker as well. How do you think that backcourt um, would mesh together? So defensively, I don't think it would be very positive. Um, I, that's not a huge concern to me, though, because I'm I'm not huge on. I, I think defense individually is overrated. I think team wise, you know, matters a lot more. Um, so I'm not I'm not really concerned about the defensive fit, but offensively they would feed off each other so perfectly with Booker's evolution as a playmaker and then having a full time playmaker. It's I think it makes Booker's secondary playmaking ability just ten times better. Um, and obviously Morant can get to the basket no problem, which gives. Booker spot up opportunities, Bridges spot up opportunities. Uh, there's a lot. There's just they feed off each other perfectly, you know. You know, adding to that, how do you feel about the way Zion would fit next to DeAndre Ayton? So some people have expressed concerns on that because there's not a lot of shooting in that front court. But you know, Zion to me, just because of his overall star potential, it it doesn't matter. And the fact that DeAndre Ayton could eventually. Uh, get out to that three-point line. I think it would be a good fit. But how do you feel? You know, you know, from your draft perspective, about those two guys next to each other. I think it's the perfect fit. Um, I've, I've I had this thought that like, if you had to, you know, rank where Zion or wow, why did I say so? I'm sorry, Zion uh, would land. Uh, what team would be the best fit? Phoenix, no doubt, number one for me, just because I think it it takes away Aiden's weaknesses. It really limits those. Uh, I think it reduces just the responsibility of defense for Aiden, which is obviously something he struggled with. Um, I think just kind of having him specialize either at the rim or you can even just have him on the perimeter. You really don't have to rely on him to stop all the baskets. And uh, I think that fits really well defensively, most importantly, but even offensively, having 
two aerial threats like Zion and and um, Aiden is just really unmatched, especially because I think both guys will be able to space it at least to the elbow. Uh, Aiden's range can easily go to three-point. I'm not worried about that. Um, but the f- offensive fit might be a little bit awkward, but I think talent fits together, so it really doesn't concern me. Look, I, f- I feel like overall everyone's talked about Zion and, and John ja Moran a lot, and I think you know most people will have some level of exposure to them at this point, but then it, it kind of becomes a drop-off after them. Uh, RJ Barrett gets a lot of coverage too. Cam Reddish gets a decent amount. Uh, when we talk about the pool of players who come after and frame it as a discussion specifically related to the Suns, where it's if you drop down to the fourth overall pick or lower, do you trade the pick? Uh, Richard, what what are your opinions on that? How many star potential players are there truly in that four to ten range, in your opinion? And especially because so many of them are wings and, and not point guards or power forwards, which are the Suns' positions of need, would you really consider trading that pick if you found yourself moving down? I said the same. I'll answer this with the exact same way I answer it when, the, when people ask that about the Mavs. Uh, I say yes. I just don't trust anyone from three to ten whatsoever. Uh, I really trust Zion and Ja. I think those two are absolutely no question stars. But after that, I mean, it is, it is going to be massively hit or miss. Um, so I'd say, yeah, if you can trade out of that, pick up some assets, maybe you find someone at seven or eight, um, that you could even find as just a super role player, like a Draymond type, like Brandon Clark. Uh, he would be really good. Obviously, actually you could even go for Darius Garland at point guard. Mm. He, uh, he's been out all year, but he wouldn't be a bad, bad solution either. I have him in my top 10. So if he's there, I mean, you could always trade back for him if you don't get jaw. Yeah, I mean, the way the way I feel about it is basically, I, I think you need to think about it like this. The Suns, I know they always say, best player available, just take the best player available, don't worry about fit. But the Suns have so many wings on the team right now, it's sort of a matter of minutes distribution. So when you get to that whole tier of players, you've got guys who are putting in slightly more polished seasons, uh, like a Jarrett Culver, and then you've got guys putting in less, or uh, DeAndre Hunter, I think, also falls into that category, and then guys who are a little bit less polished, mm-hmm. uh, Kevin Porter Jr., Keldon Johnson, uh, maybe Romeo Langford. And when you talk about that tier, and you talk about those guys and envisioning them coming in and competing with TJ Warren and Kelly Oubre Jr. and Mikhail Bridges and Josh mm-hmm. Jackson, how many of those guys do you really think actually have the potential to be better than maybe two of all of those wings within three to four years. Because realistically, if you're going to use a top four, top five pick on a player, you don't want it to be three to four years from now and still have that player sitting on the bench behind Kelly Oubre and Mikhail Bridges. You want to be uh, at least some have some degree of faith that they're going to become a starting caliber player. So I guess my question is, how many of those guys do you really think can get better at least than players like Bridges uh, and Oubre by their prime? I don't think any of the guys, I mean, I'm really high on Bridges, so I don't think any anyone that that you can draft that's not Zion, RJ, or Jaw are going to be better than Bridges. Um, but I think you're going to be able to get guys that are better than the other three. Uh, for example, I like DeAndre Hunter a lot. I don't know if he's going to get a ton better from where he is now, but he's an elite 3 and D prospect coming out of college. I don't know how many of those guys Phoenix needs necessarily. It's the only issue. Um, but there's just a couple that that I could see Keldon Johnson maybe as well. I'm really high on Seku. Uh, I can't say his last name, Doomboy, I think. <laughs> a lot of people aren't as high on him. He's a really hit or miss guy. I'm so scared of foreign bigs now. Dragon has oh, Dragon has yeah. scarred me for life. <laughs> well, he's a small forward, if that makes you feel any better. <laughs> but no, he, uh, 
I don't know. Like he has all the tools in the world. He's really big. He has a jump shot. Um, kind of putting it together is an issue. But Keldon Johnson's a really good slasher. He just has to get his jump shot together. If he can do that, I'd say Keldon could be. I really think he could be the best of them all. He has the highest ceiling of those three. So that that would be if you're swinging for the fences, go Keldon Johnson at like eight or nine. So before the draft, or before the season started, before the college season started, the number one pick, there was a debate about the number one pick. Now it seems very clear that Zion is the number one pick. Everyone is sort of in agreement that it goes to Zion. But before the season began, there was some debate as to whether or not it should be R.J. Barrett. Mm-hmm. And as the season has gone on, R.J. Barrett's uh, stock has dropped a little bit, and you know most people are projecting him around that third pick at this point, which is a, a, a place that the Suns could actually end up picking at this point. So my question to you, with R.J. Barrett and the way his jump shot has been sort of iffy at best, is there a chance that he's just Josh Jackson? That's my fear. <laughs> I don't think they're entirely similar. Uh, Josh Jackson, I had my, I'm looking at my old scouting report. I just pulled that up. Uh, I put that his jump shot may be his fatal flaw. You can kind of say the same thing about RJ, uh, but RJ has a lot better form. I hated Josh Jackson's jump shot coming out of college, especially because mm-hmm. I think he had the fro at the time too. And uh, being a Magic fan, I was a little bit scarred <laughs> by that with uh, Alfred Payton as well. So I was really down on that. <laughs> I don't think. RJ is going to be a bad shooter. I just don't think he'll really be a good shooter, which I don't know if you can necessarily say the same about Josh Jackson. I think he's kind of doomed to be a bad shooter. Um, And I think RJ's got a lot more playmaking skills than Josh Jackson did, Hmm. at least coming out of college. I think that's fair. It's just a little wor- it's just a little worrisome. I'm scarred just as Sam's talked about being scarred with Dragon Bender and being afraid. I'm a little worried about uh you know the the guys that are wing players with playmaking potential because that's how Josh Jackson was sold to me and we haven't really seen it in the NBA yet. Mm-hmm. And you know, to be fair, being on a team with Zion, he hasn't exactly been able to fully take control of the offense when Zion was out I was a little more impressed with RJ Barrett than when they played together so there's a chance that he could be really good and I do think that if we drop below if we're not taking Zion and we're not taking Ja I think there's a there's a strong chance that we trade that pick at this point now today is selection Sunday we've seen uh, a lot of teams get picked into their uh, the, the brackets are out let's just say that <laughs> and out of these guys in the top 10 that you know the Suns are likely picking one to six at this point who do you think could raise their draft stock the most in this tournament? Of the top 10 guys? Or bordered, borderline top 10 well, as well. Okay. I yeah. was going to say, because out of my top 10, I have only six guys in the tournament. So that's that's kind of where this draft is for me. Interesting. Um, yeah, because I don't have Cam Reddish up there. There's a few others. Um, but I really think if there's someone that could really get into the top 10, it's Kobe White mm-hmm. from North mm-hmm. Carolina. Uh, he's been on that bubble all year. And if he guides North Carolina to the Elite Eight, Final Four, you're going to see him really rise. I have my concerns about him. Like, he has a little bit of a push shot, um, which very few guards have made work. Uh, but, hey, he's got a really sick afro, too. So that's 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 uh, <laughs> points for me. He's skyrocketing up there on my board because of that. Uh, I'm triggered. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but uh, triggered. the other guy I could see, I, I have DeAndre Hunter at number five on my board. I could see people getting closer to that if he just goes off in the tournament. Uh, or I'm sorry, Virginia has really, really good defense already. So having DeAndre Hunter just be an anchor, if they say go to the Final Four, go to the championship game, 
DeAndre Hunter will definitely go from what seems to be around number eight consensus to probably top five. Just a question about DeAndre Hunter. I'm going to ask you what everyone is asking about him. Virginia plays a more conservative defense, so uh, he's a switchable defender. That's what he's being projected as. Got a good amount of length, good measurables, but doesn't literally get the steal and block numbers that you might want to see, particularly the steals. Not sure if he has quite the athleticism for the blocks, but you plug him into a system like Phoenix, where Phoenix has been leading the NBA in deflections this season and have been very risky uh, with guys like DeAnthony Melton, Mikhail Bridges, Josh Jackson, all playing the passing lanes. What do you think that looks like? And and how will De- uh, DeAndre Hunter be able to transition to that sort of NBA-style defense? Will he start going for more flashy plays? Or is he just going to be a very solid fundamental defender for his career? I think it's closer to the fundamental um, side. I know Virginia doesn't, they want their guys just to stay on their man and do nothing else. Like you said, they're very conservative. That was pretty spot on. Um, but he's got it. He's got a really long arms. He has a great frame. You know, he's already really strong. I think he's going to be forcing turnovers. He may just not be collecting those turnovers. Um, so he may not be getting the steals, but he might be the driving force for a steal. You know, that's the kind of defender he is. Last question for me on a scale of one to 10, how excited are you to see Luka Doncic and Porzingis next season? I, on a, on a scale of one to 10. Yeah. Uh, I'd say 15. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited. I mean, that's it's Nash and Dirk. Like, it's the closest thing we've had in Dallas to that. So it's it's hard not to be excited. How good do you think they could be realistically? The Mavs are just those next two. season. Sp- the Mavs next season. Um, well, I had them as a 41 win team this year. I'd say they're going to get close to 50 wins. I know their bench will always Ooh. be good as long as Carlisle's here. So that's not. That's not a worry. I mean, I think next year could be another year. Like, what was it when all when Dallas, Phoenix, and Memphis were fighting for that eight seed? Was it 2013 or 2014? 2014. 2014. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Because Mavs missed in 2013. So, Mm -hmm. in 2014, you know, 50 wins barely got you to the playoffs. I could see that next year, Mm -hmm. just based on how the West is kind of going this year. I think you're going to see an explosion from a lot of teams. Um, But I think I think the Mavs are a 45, 50 win team. Somewhere in that range. Barring health. Barring health. Don't hold me to this if everyone gets injured. Because <laughs> I know people do that. <laughs> Sam, you got anything else for Richard? Yeah, just to sort of conclude the draft discussion. Thank you, Richard. I, I'm afraid we couldn't you know, go into some of these prospects more in depth, but we're going to have more conversations in the future. You mentioned Kobe White, who I really oh, yeah. like. You mentioned Brandon Clark, who I really, really like. Uh, and I guess when talking about those guys, it, again, if you were in the Suns position, Rather than drafting one of the risky wings in around the fifth or sixth spot, do you go for a guy like Kobe White, Brandon Clark, uh, Grant Williams, PJ Washington by trading down into the 10 to 20 range and, and trying to grab a guy like that? Maybe just a guy who's a little bit more of an older veteran college player, a safer bet, and not trade out of the draft entirely for Phoenix, but we could maybe steer the conversation more towards you trade down in the draft, you collect assets try to get maybe some sort of veteran NBA player and then pair them with a little bit of a lower rookie. Does that kind of strategy make sense for Phoenix as, as we will be talking about the draft more uh, for the next few months? I think it definitely comes from the perspective. If you're coming from a perspective where you want, uh, if you think the Suns are just one more year of tanking away from really hitting their upside, um, then yeah, definitely trade out as much as you can. Because I just... I don't see the upside. I don't think there's anyone with freak upside in this class. You know, even 2013, which is a pretty weak class, had their two stars uh, well beyond number 10. And uh, I think 2013 and this draft class are 
eerily similar to me. I think there's a little bit more star power at the top. Uh, or Well, there is more star power. But other than that, there's a really not a ton different from me. Um, so I'd say if you can try and get into 2020 draft, that one's going to be really strong. Get into that one. So if you can get assets and get a guy who's going to be a solid core piece that you can have in the rotation every game and not have to worry about him ever falling out of the league, yeah, take that route. Because number 10... 8-10, I think, is the ideal range to do that for someone like DeAndre Hunter, you said Brandon Clark, someone like that. Richard Stamen, thank you so much for joining us. Make sure everyone follow him at Mavs Draft. I know his focus is covering the draft for the Mavericks, but he, he covers every player. Do you have anything else you would like to promote, Richard? Uh, that's it for right now. I really appreciate that. No problem. Looking forward to having you on. Uh, as this tournament goes on, we can talk more, maybe get a little deeper into the draft and cover, uh, you know, even some second round picks uh, for the Suns, uh, you know, focused on the Suns. But, yeah. Uh, thank you so much for joining oh, us. Can I just say one one last thing? Of course. I'm proud to own the three-point oh, zone. God. <laughs> Rubbing off on you. <laughs> I had to get that on there. I'm sorry. <laughs> thank you for having me, though. You're banned. You're never coming back. Thank you. <laughs> It's not my fault. I wasn't going to do anything until you got her all juiced up with your story about having the affair with the matador. Oh, gosh, none of this would never have happened if you wouldn't send God bless you. Oh, just wrapped up another episode of the timeline i love this podcast and if you're like me you want as much sun's content as possible that's why i listen to the timeline every week so if you want to go ahead and hear some more phoenix sun's content go ahead and listen to the solar panel of phoenix sun show we are available on spotify on itunes on stitcher on google play anywhere that you listen to podcasts go ahead and check out the solar panel a phoenix sun's show For the ones standing guard, for the eagle-eyed, for the knights in shining armor, and for all those who support them, we are Granger, your experienced safety partner, offering supplies and solutions for every industry, committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com/safety, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.